morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jamie Newton, and welcome to Totally Rewarding. This is the first in a series of podcasts featuring the great and good of the compensation and benefits market in the New York area. Uh, and welcoming my first victim today, Greg Johnson. Greg is uh, one of the industry leaders, currently the head of Total Rewards at SoftBank, and known as one of the best in the game. Uh, welcome, Greg. Jamie, thank you so much. It's a really pleasure to be here this morning, and I appreciate the warm welcome. <laughs> no problem. You probably won't be thanking me by the end of this, but um, <laughs> <laughs> the idea today is to I guess enlighten uh, the industry for uh, to, to provide some sort of interesting insights on the field of compensation and benefits, what's really going on in the market. Uh, not necessarily talking to Greg about what he wanted to be when he was five, more just getting his opinion and ideas on some of those more controversial topics out there. So hopefully some of you will find this useful. Uh, and on that basis, I'm gonna jump straight in uh, with my first question to Greg. Um, Compensation, Greg, was, was referenced by one of the leading publications uh, in New York back in 2018 as the most toxic issue of our time. Um, quite a punchy statement, but as a compensation professional, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think uh, it is quite provocative. Um, I think compensation is always going to be a hot-button issue, but I, I think if you go to the root cause of that, you know, we work in a free market economy. Um, and I think as long as that exists, uh, there's going to be uh, two sides of the table, right? There's always going to be an employer perspective mm -hmm. and an employee perspective. And our job really as total rewards professionals from a compensation perspective is to understand both sides of that table, right? Understand mm -hmm. what are what's driving the decisions from an organizational perspective, um, you know, and making sure that the organization has the right information and the leadership of that organization has the right information with respect to making decisions about compensation, but also understanding what, where employees are. So working with our talent acquisition heads and recruiting professionals to understand what the other side of the market is. And then the market will always bear out what it bears out. So it's a really interesting place to be. It always will be. Um, I don't know. Toxicity um it you know because it is a free market economy i think that's just a natural um you know that's a natural downstream effect so to speak of the of having a free market economy is you will have some wild numbers because that is the skill set that the person has and that's what the market bears out to pay for someone's given skill set it's, it's an interesting one i think look it's a concept of wealth creation um, and how that's sort of changed since let's say 2008 2009 and obviously now we're in this kind of pandemic, post-pandemic world. Those that are, you know, the super wealthy, the top one percent, the, the sort of the elite, um, maybe because it's, there's far more transparency around what those individuals are earning, and it's far more in the public domain. And obviously, people weigh that against, you know, their own circumstances than the average employee. Um, it, it, it's become more of a focal point. And, and particularly if I think about my own experiences in the UK and obviously coming over to the US as a Brit, uh, doing my job there, um, in the UK, it, it's not seen as, you know, what, earning a lot of money is, is almost a sort of a dirty subject. You know, you, you don't want to be seen as, as highly wealthy and successful. And, and, and that's some of the legacy from uh, the sort of the financial crash. Um, and in the U.S., I think that legacy is, is well, it's no, not there at all from 2008, 2009. But I do feel like it's creeping in uh, to society slightly that actually, you know, those kind of 
super CEOs on on multi-million dollar packages, it's it's not really seen as a badge of honor anymore. Would you agree? I would agree with that. I think less and less. I think that you you hear in America often the American dream, right, which mm. is to pull up your bootstraps every day and make something of yourself and create a company or do something that's going to change the world. And I think with that, people associate wealth, to your point, wealth creation and being able to say, I'm a self-made billionaire or millionaire or whatever that might be and come from nothing and, and rise up. I think that still exists, but I think once you reach the top, there is much more of a um, shunning away from that stereotype of, you know, now I'm a billionaire because um, after 2008, to your point, I think with all of some, you know, some of the things that happened, obviously, were that were in the news with different companies being paid in different ways uh, or different company executives being paid in different ways. That's certainly the case. What I think is very interesting right now, Jamie, is just mm -hmm. coming out of the pandemic. Um, you've seen a real shift in in mentality as well because of things. And, you, of course, the buzzwords, the great resignation, mm -hmm. unemployment is you know, 3.9% right now. We just mm -hmm. added another 450,000 jobs as of today here in the U.S. when the jobs are reported. Wow. Um, you know, th these types of things that are happening, there's so much opportunity out there um, for employees and for candidates to go out and really negotiate strongly because they are in the driver's seat right now. Um, I don't think organizations, you know, and I think as a recruiter, I'd hear, like to hear your perspective because I'm, I'm sure you're seeing this as well, but when we talk to candidates, it's they—they they are, you know, we're getting no a little bit, and we're seeing no in the market a little bit more because people really feel like they can They're in a position of power to be able to negotiate with employers, and employers are are willing right now um, to do more, right? Whether that be remote working, whether that mm. be you know compensation packages that might be a little bit higher. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to hear if you're sort of seeing the same thing from your perspective. I mean, yeah, the. the that buzzword, the great resignation. Uh, yeah, I must have heard it a thousand times in the last three or four months. I, I actually don't, I think in some sectors it's happened. I, I, I think in, in, in several sectors w w it's going to happen, um, you know, as we approach um, kind of bonus day uh, for a lot of firms. Uh, you know, there is, a, I hate to use the phrase war for talent, but it, it's it's far more in, in, in 20 years of me doing this is probably the worst I've seen it. Um, and it has led to um, just the way that, that, that sort of uh, you know, fixed pay and variable pay is perceived uh, by kind of emerging talent. I mean, the, 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 there's no such thing as a pay band anymore, really, is there? It's just people are constantly you know, breaking through that ceiling and breaking the expectations uh, to make a job move. And you take some of these competitive industries, and I think people have lost sight yeah, of, of the realities of what they're asking for. You know, I think particularly in tech and, and sort of fintech, you know, and they're hiring people out of these large scale, the Facebooks, you know, the sort of the Googles, and you know, they're having to pay over the odds for sort of you know, engineers and developers. Um, yeah, I think these individuals who are asking for these kind of packages are, are sort of they've lost sense of what they're really going at. You know, they their 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 market worth is completely skewed based on what they feel they can actually achieve and what their mate gets paid who's gone down the road to a tech startup that's just IPO'd. Um, it's a funny old you know, situation to be in, and I think comp, you know, it, it, it's just gone off the chart um, in a post-pandemic world. And and for a lot of people, you know, they're asking for stuff because they feel they deserve it, rather than actually thinking, what is enough? You know, what do I need to earn? Has my cost of living really increased that much? I know interest rates are on the rise, but yeah, you know, if you go back two and a half years pre-pandemic, people were not kind of putting these kind of numbers on the table. Um, and even this kind of welcome equity sign-on bonuses, it just wasn't happening like this. So 
I definitely think the pandemic has changed the game. And when we talk about you know comp being a toxic issue, I, I only think that's actually going to get worse. This isn't just about CEO pay anymore. Um, I think the whole concept of it and what people are asking in this kind of emerging talent has has changed the game. But um, but no, it's a very interesting topic and kind of leads me on to uh, my my next question when we talk about uh, compensation and and obviously trying to explain to people listening. Um, how people get into this and why people get into this uh, because it is a very controversial issue as we just said but the one thing I really note Greg is that it's never a default profession you know no one ever comes out of college going I want to be in comp why does that not happen yeah it's that is a great question I think for especially for people that are in this particular profession um, because I think anybody you talk to it's I was a lawyer, I have a law mm. background, or I was in BP&A or FP&A, and I, or I was in a finance position. And, and certainly my own situation, I grew up in finance. So I can definitely say, I, I think it's because honestly, Jamie, a lot of people, I don't know if they know that it is a profession. I, when I even mm. speak to, um, you know, some of my connections, I think if you work in a in, a, in an organization, you, you start to learn that. But when you're in college, or when you're in university, and you're, you're learning about you know, what I want to do with my, my life and what my career would like, what I'd like that to look like. Mm. I don't know if it is something. And, and what I, um, what I really like about it, to be honest with you is, you know, for anybody that, that is listening is, and I'm sure the rewards professionals would agree, but even people maybe that would listen that are not, um, you know, it, it, it is something you, you combine the quantitative and then the qualitative on a daily basis. So, um, you know, you're using data to tell stories, you're using data to tell a narrative, um, so it's not just pure finance. I am in a spreadsheet all day and I'm just churning out numbers and it's not maybe traditional HR or sales or something that is a little bit more relationship based and is less quantitative um, by nature. It's really a mix of those two. Um, and I really get a lot of enjoyment out of, out of that personally. Um, but I think it's a great question. I mean, honestly, um, I'd love for you know there to be a course in college on more of the HR side of this to be included, because I think if if you did have that included, if you did have something like a total rewards crash course included, I think people would be a lot more interested because it is a, it is, it is fascinating on a daily basis for multiple reasons. <laughs> I think that's the thing. I think you, you point out, you know, uh, most people haven't ever heard of it. And I still talk, you know, my, my, my friends still don't really understand what I do. You know, I think they think I, I recruit payrollers or, or something uh, similar. Yes, but always. <laughs> it's yes. like, oh, so you manage a bit of payroll. Um, but I, I think there is this lack of awareness and understanding of just what options are out there and, and comp being a classic example of people don't realize that compensation and benefits exists as a profession. They know what it is. Everyone knows what compensation is. But and it's interesting, you know, that I think people are very familiar with HR, you know, and HR is, I think, slowly evolving into a far more of a default profession. Uh, whereas, you know, you go back 10 years and sort of people accidentally found themselves going into HR. Um, but the one thing I've noticed, and, and this leads me to, to my next point, is, you know, the separation now between HR and compensation, you'd assume that, you know, because of HR growing in popularity, that comp would increase in its popularity too, but we're not seeing that. Um, and I think, you know, I once had a CHRO turn around to me when we were taking a, a brief to hire a head of comp, and she sort of looked at me and said, oh, look, it's it's all kind of voodoo and, and dark magic at the end of the day. You know, I just want I just want someone who can explain it in simple terms. And I kind of took that comment to heart, going, "God, if I try to say to people that what you do is described as voodoo and dark magic, I mean, do you think that this is also part of the problem that comp, you know, is 
is seen in the wrong way. The reason people don't head down that route once they do hear about it is it just seems overly complex. It does sometimes come across as overly technical. Do you think that's a fair assessment? I think that is completely fair. I say to <laughs> my teams all the time, uh, if you cannot explain this in a one minute pitch, then we've failed as compensation professionals, right? Mm -hmm. So it, you can do all the fancy modeling, you can build scenarios, you can do all the things that the CFO or the CEO will love with respect to thoughtful analysis. Mm -hmm. And of course, that is incredibly important. That is stuff that we do on a daily basis as compensation professionals is really digging in again, telling data through stories is is really what I think that we we excel at if, if you're a solid rewards professional. Mm. And for me, though, you have to translate that once you actually have a, a great model or design or whether it be LTI or mm. you know, long term incentive or short term incentive or base salary structures or carried interest or what, whatever you're working yeah, on. You, you have yeah. to be a <laughs> not to jump in, but you try and explain carried interest in 60 seconds. Yeah, I'm not going to challenge you that now. I mean, yeah, I've spent the last 10 years of my career trying to understand carried interest as, as one aspect. But again, you yeah, know, I think it, sometimes it is complicated. Sometimes it is technical. You know, it's, it's, yes. Uh, I think, unfortunately, uh, a carried interest would take a full beer, not a, not a sip of beer. <laughs> um, so, um, with that being said, though, to go back, you know, it, it really is about communication. It is the mm. biggest key, in my opinion, is being able to communicate why you're trying to do something, what you're trying to accomplish, the alignment between what the organizational goals are and the success of the organization and how someone is going to be paid. And at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to communicate to employees. So yeah, so I, I really do think that it's really, it's all about communication and being able to communicate to multiple audiences is a key thing as well, right? You've got different stakeholders. I, I think everyone has to different stakeholders in any job that they're in, but particularly within compensation, you have a very delicate balance of stakeholders. Often when you're dealing with, with leadership, you're dealing with a CFO who has a financial bend to thing, your things. You have a, uh, a CHRO that's really looking at the employee value proposition and what are we delivering to employees, ensuring we're, we're retaining and tracking the best employees. Mm -hmm. So you really have to balance a lot of different stakeholder perspectives while at the same time always keeping in mind that what you have to deliver is something to employees that's going to motivate them and is mm -hmm. going to impact the organization's success. So, you know, for me, I'm always stepping back even, you know, with the boards that I deal with um, and, and our C-suite and saying, hey, I understand what you're trying to do, but I don't think, I think it's going to get lost in translation. Have you ever thought about simplifying? Have you ever thought about moving towards something that's a little less complex um, and and taking away that voodoo and dark magic, so to speak? Uh, because I totally understand that comment. It, it is, I've seen design of compensation go off the rails and, you know, um, no one understands it. And if no one understands it, you're not going to get the performance out of your employees that you need in order to be a successful organization. And that's that's the key to any compensation program. So, you know, there's a couple of things there. Um, sometimes, you know, you could argue that these plans that are created in the way compensation has to operate as a technical discipline, you know, we accept the fact that finance is a technical discipline and often there's some very complex information, but we don't try and simplify it. I understand you have to play that balancing act between HR and the business of trying to create plans that people can communicate effectively and engage staff with. But, you know, at the end of the day, is it just because, you know, if you showed your plans to you know, the, so the operational side of the business, the finance side of the business, the likelihood is they will probably understand what you're trying to do. 
Is it just, does it just sometimes go wrong because HR don't understand what you're trying to do? And maybe they're not as, uh, yeah, not as sort of savvy as, gr- as grasping some of the technical aspects. Is that maybe where the problem lies? I, I totally think that can be the case sometimes. And again, I think we're, as a profession, you mentioned this earlier, Jamie, I think it's a great point. I think we're moving towards being more of a data-driven profession and more of a profession that is less um, anecdotal, less qualitative, um, I feel this way, et cetera. Certainly, you always have to take into account stakeholder management and and understanding relationships within an organization. But the more that you can use data to tell a story, the more impactful, in my experience, you can be because you're not using just, I think that someone should be paid X, Y, Z, or I think a job is worth this in the market, or this plan is going to be good because I think it is because I'm Greg and I have all this experience in the profession. It's saying, hey, we've surveyed people, we've looked at market data, we've looked at scenario analysis where we've built models that actually can be somewhat predictive in terms of if we're able to accomplish this, we see payouts of you know, this. That type of storytelling, if you can do it the right way, is in my experience, just more impactful than more anecdotal. And I think that um, you know where we're moving hopefully as a profession is I think that certainly the more data-driven people and organizations can understand that, but I think that we're, as an HR profession, hopefully we're moving towards is being able to do that across the entire platform. I think, you know, it's so funny to me, whenever there's a data question, and I'm sure the other rewards professionals you'll have on will say this, um, whenever there's a data question in HR, I'm the first person to get the email. And it doesn't matter what the data question is. It can be headcount analysis. It can be things that really, I would say, don't necessarily fall within the purview yeah. of compensation and benefits. Yeah. But we're, you, we're, we're typically viewed as the data wonks, the people that are in Excel all day that can just power through doing an analysis. And for what I really, what, I, what I'm starting to see more and more, and I really hope for the profession as a whole, is that we see more of that bleed into other parts of the organization so that it's not just the comp and Ben people or the rewards people that are, are the data people. It's everyone that can talk in data, that can get into the data and understand, you know, what, what the insights you can draw from a good analysis. I think that's a, a very good point. You know, that that is hopefully, I'm sure, where a lot of, you know, CHROs aspire their departments to be is, more led uh, by data and be able to interpret and communicate to the business accordingly, not just the comp guys. You know, I still think the industry has a long way to go. You know, and I, and I don't know how that happens. You know, how do how do people become better at reading and interpreting data and taking this kind of commercial information and imparting it to a business? How did you learn to suddenly actually simplify data and actually be able to explain it to people? Was there was this just something you took over time, or did you just suddenly this, did, did it all just make sense to you? I don't know. I think I think there's two there's two main points uh, that I would give Jamie Jamie one is the first uh, the first one for me is all about asking questions and curiosity a good compensation professional is someone that that asks questions and continues to drive towards um, the whatever you know framing things in a way that you understand everyone's perspective in a very detailed manner so. It's not just taking things at face value and saying, I trust this person, not to say you would mistrust them, but you would need to understand, you know, ask the follow-up question, ask five follow-up questions. So you completely understand where their perspective is, as well as where data, their interpretation of a data set, because listen, you and I could sit down 
and look at a data set together mm. and I could have a completely different interpretation than you. Right. Mm. And I, and I, that happens to me on a daily basis where my interpretation is this is si- the, this is six and the other person's interpretation, this is half, this is a half dozen. Mm. And you say, well, that's the same thing. And they say, no, I said it differently. Right. And the yeah. way I, the reason I said it differently is because of this. Mm. And then you start to get into that context and then you can start to craft a narrative understanding your leadership's uh, input, understanding your own perspective as well, and how that fits in to all the different perspectives around you with respect to data. So I think that's one. And then I think the other one is just having good mentors and understanding what's worked and what has not worked, right? You've seen at this point in my career, I've seen pitches and go wrong, and I've seen them go incredibly well. And I think the most people are the most uh, effective compensation and benefits professionals are objective. They're mm. again, they're a constant source of listening, understanding everyone, and then objectively stating what sort of the dialogue has been, recapping conversations, etc., and then resetting where we are today and where we need to go based on the feedback that we've already received. And um, it's a winding road. The last thing I'll say is it's a winding road when you talk about compensation and benefits uh, as a career and also as what you do in day-to-day work. You start somewhere and six months later, you look back and you can't believe where you are on any given topic. And so I think patience is also another large key here. You just have to have a lot of patience because things change, commercial decisions change and the business change and strategy changes very quickly. Um, you know, think about 2020, the pandemic completely changed the strategic uh, trajectory of so many companies. So you have to be really have your your finger on the pulse, so to speak, with respect to what's happening in the organization and be able to take in information quickly and say, not say things like, well, we were designing a new equity plan for the last year. Why would we change what we're doing? Hmm. Well, we have to change what we're doing because the whole business just shifted. There's a disruptor. We need to, we need to be nimble and make sure we're adapting to the commercial strategy of the organization. And I think that that's a, another real key here with respect to being an effective, you know, compensation professional. I think it's a, a very hard juggling act, to be honest, um, for uh, yeah, any, whether regardless of level, you know, aspiring compensation and, and benefits professionals, and I, and I would put the two together in this, um, because you're juggling, you know, the the realities of the business landscape, i.e., the economic landscape, and having to react to that. You're judging or juggling the um, the sort of the priorities to retain and engage staff, uh, which is often put on your shoulders, and and then this kind of communications piece on top of that between HR, between the rest of the business, uh, and trying to keep sort of multiple parties happy at the same time. Um, it's it's kind of all things to all people, but if you look at the default you know, of, of individuals that come through uh, into sort of compensation and benefits, often you know quite technically minded individuals, often legal professionals, finance professionals who find their way in, these skill sets um, aren't necessarily naturally given to to those professionals. You know, a lot of the time the people I meet with can be very introverted. Uh, and trying to sort of get them out to be able to explain whether it's complex data sets and in an engaging and energetic and an accessible way um, is is very hard. It's very unnatural. And I think, therefore, it's not an unenviable task, but to develop these skills from the, the technical side of it to then this kind of communications piece, I think, is a really hard ask. And I mean, and I think I think it's a lot of, you know, the businesses don't appreciate this, you know, and I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
I was once asked um, by, and I'll remember these words, a CHRO, you know, again trying to hire a head of comp, and uh, saying to me, we want someone who's really technically minded, um, but nice and normal. And I kind of was like, what? I was like, what does nice and normal mean? What's your definition of that? And she was like, well, you know, someone that can, you know, can hold a conversation and, and isn't too much. And, and, the, and the term, you know, sort of someone who's too much into a spreadsheet, a power geek. And I was like, come on, like, you, 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 that's not the profession. And you're stereotyping the profession there. Um, but look, I understood her angle in terms of she wanted the communicator and the technician. But I think this is the most hardest skill set to blend. And, and I don't know, and no one teaches people how to do that. No one teaches people how to communicate commercially. Yeah. I mean, who taught you? Yeah, how did you, you learn this through trial and error, I imagine. And, and you know, it, how do you learn to be commercial? How do you learn to communicate effectively? How did you learn to communicate? Yeah, again, just what, watching really good mentors. And I've had it throughout my career, whether it be in consulting at Mercer or, you know, when I started my career at Siemens, I've had just a, a series of wonderful mentors over the years. And you could, you know, you, again, if you're the thing you just said, I, I think that um, I'm a big IQ EQ person, right? So having to your point, I think a lot of compensation professionals, very high IQ, they're, mm -hmm. they're either incredibly bright, you know, brilliant legal minds, or again, backgrounds coming from outside of HR, or even HR professionals that move over into compensation or are typically very smart people. However, the EQ sometimes, to your oh, yeah. point, is a little could be a little bit, and I think that's the example you gave with the CHRO with whom you were speaking, is a little bit of uh, you know you can be a little bit more introverted, yeah. etc. Um, but you you learn right, and 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 again, some of my mentors are are exactly that, but they've learned over the years to um, to develop that EQ, and and again, uh, being a balanced, objective professional. Mm -hmm from a compensation perspective is always um is always uh, uh important I've, and i'll just say that two other comments i think the, the one just anecdotally here um it's so funny to me and i think you can appreciate this as a recruiter when i look at compensation and benefits job descriptions now i get these all the time for can you talk to your network or you know the first thing you typically read is uh needs to have a strategic mind but needs to be in the weeds um, or like, you know, yeah, so you, get, it's getting like your hands dirty, yeah, right? Yeah, getting yeah, your hands, yeah, yeah, that's the exactly, other one, whatever that's cliche. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And I find that so funny because, and I'm not saying that's not important. I'm in spreadsheets every day still, and mm. I've been doing this 15 years, but it's, you know, there's a difference probably in skill set between someone that has a strategic mind that's looking at broad, huge issues that could affect the organization and millions and millions of dollars of spend that you're going to, you're going to dictate how that's going to be used. And then someone that is in its spreadsheet, just looking at data all day. And so I, I find that to be, um, to be very funny, uh, just, just mm. given where we are in the market right now. It's an interesting one. You know, I think the, uh, there's the way job descriptions are written and I, I can't stand uh, I mean 99% of the job descriptions either I rewrite them myself or, or my team do and uh, we present them back in in something that actually sounds appealing um, because the, the the amount of times that people forget that actually you are having to sell the concept of, of coming in as a head of benefits or a head of conversation it's not just a given they're going to want to join you um, and job descriptions are often a shopping list of needs rather than a what's in it for you um and particularly in, in our field um but yeah that kind of must be strategic but it's like getting into the weeds getting your hands dirty i mean i've heard it a thousand times um and that's it yeah i think the the point in all of this is that the industry has a long way to go to meet that gap between 
you know, sort of HR and compensation and benefits really working effectively or as effectively as they potentially can. I know there's some great examples out there of firms doing that, but I do think it's too siloed in a lot of firms. I think you have that mix between, you know, technical technical departments in terms of comp and ben, and then you have more, you know, the kind of business interaction client-facing side uh, with HR and, and those two are two segmented divisions uh, more often yeah. than businesses. and. That can lead and to that's a, a real problem. Yeah, a problem. I'll just say that just yeah. to, to inter, interject it, like that's a real problem. I think that if you're an effective compensation and benefits professional, you're at you need a seat at the table. You need to understand mm -hmm. and hear, not have something translated for you. And I think to your point, where we were about ten years ago is I think often the the compensation team was the back office, right, of HR. It was the data people that you don't want to put in front of the business. And I think to be effective now, you need to have that seat at the table. You need to be an objective voice that's providing perspective, data, et cetera, directly, because when you don't have that direct interaction with the business, again, anyone would tell you this, you lose, you lose things in translation, you lose context, you lose important um, data points or, or, or considerations that need to be made. Um, and yeah, I think the other point that I'll just to quickly go back, um, it's, I keep going back to objective. Objective to me is so important because phrases like you're off market. I, I don't, you, you'll never hear me use that phrase. Off market is something, what I mean by that is yeah. when I talk about compensation, you've made a pointed decision to differentiate yourself from market. Yeah. Whether you're paying lower or higher, that mm. differentiation, labeling that as good or bad, right? Off market has a negative connotation when it you does, say it. Yeah, it so when I deal with my, you know, with boards today and I consult to a lot of boards in my current role, um, you know, I tell them I'm never going to say off market to you. I'm going to always say that you differentiated yourself from market, and that's a hopefully that's a conscious decision. If it's not, then we need to diagnose that, and we need to understand how you can get to a place where you feel more comfortable with how you're paying your compensation strategy. But you're not off market; you're just differentiated, and I, that's what I mean by always being objective. I think that's a real key to being a, a great compensation and benefits professional. Do you think, therefore, that there are too many? I mean, comp does have a bit of a reputation of being a you know, bit of a no police uh, in terms of not just saying, yeah, off market's a very good example, but it's too easy or too tempting to just be that kind of buffer to the business saying no. Do you think comp is often quite guilty of that? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And and again, my everyone is stylistically differently. I certainly have professionals with whom I've worked and um, I'm still very close and they are, their opinion is they're the keys. They're the keys to the bank, right? Their, their job is to really facilitate and save and generate savings. Mm. My, what I always, my perspective and my approach is always to be an objective counselor, right? Mm. I am providing data, I am providing counsel. And, I, and, and the way that I phrase things, Jamie, is very specific typically. And here's the data set and the facts. We cannot dispute the facts, right? Here is the facts yep. of the data. Yep. And then here is my interpretation of that data. Now let's start a dialogue between you and me and, and the group, if there's a group, on what your interpretation of, is of that data. And if you have a different interpretation, it's certainly not being weak, right? You're not, mm. I don't, I'm, I think people sometimes mistake objectivity for weakness. Mm. It's not being weak. It's, it's saying, I, I'm, I wanna separate facts and then give my perspective on those facts. And my perspective should be weighted pretty heavily because I've been doing this my entire career. Mm. But 
if you have a different perspective and you're really strong in that perspective and you want to take a different direction as a leadership team or as a leader, I, I'm not, it's not my job to be offended by that. Or to your point, not be the no police. It's not mm -hmm. my job to be the no police. My job is to say, what's the strategy. Okay. Understanding you're going to take a different direction than I am and then go execute that strategy and, and provide you with I, what I think is the appropriate data and the appropriate mm -hmm. um, context for the decision that you're making and then allow you to make that the decision that's appropriate for the organization. That's, no, I think that's very, very sage, a very not sage guidance, very good approach to it. Uh, and and so it's, I think a lot of individuals, the, the temptation to hide behind the data, and I hate to use that phrase, but it's much easier to say, well, this says this, and therefore we can't do it rather than actually trying to interpret to cool. Yeah, the, the art of coercion of influencing of negotiation, again, these are skills not taught um you know as as people climb through the ranks of compensation they have to develop these skills and no i think you're very right greg um you know there is a way of doing these things that adds value that adds you know is intrinsic to to supporting the business but without just saying no um final question before we we finish up uh and you've you touched on this a few times um in terms of mentoring and uh you're very fortunate to what i'm always interested and in, i'm going to ask every everyone in this series of of who who was the the best in the game you know who in we, we, it's a very small profession everyone knows everyone but who would you say is the best you've worked with or the best you've worked for who's the best in the game yeah without I'll, I'll be vague and then if you you can always press me jamie we have you know jamie we've got such a great relationship so i'm, I'm again thank you so much for having me today <laughs> um so the uh i i would say my formative years at siemens i, I had some really great people that i worked with that um helped me build my technical foundational compensation mm -hmm. skill set things like benchmarking right mm -hmm. doing sales compensation analyses scenario development doing um you know really complex base salary structures for manufacturing plants and all over the country and doing that type of really technical analysis where i had no idea i was coming from finance i didn't understand compensation market data you know building structures things like that I think that for me has been the, the most because that foundation, you know, building the foundation of a house. Now you can see looking back 10 years, 15 years, where you are, where I am now, it's like I still use that on a daily basis. I still talk about those things mm -hmm. in terms of core. How do you set up a model? How do you mm -hmm. make sure that we're making the right assumptions and we're building something that can be flexible enough and um, you know, understanding the core principles of whatever you're trying to develop and design. I certainly will say though, I've had just unbelievable consulting. I, I'm sure that you may talk mm. to some consultants and yep. through your path here, consulting is just a wonderful crash course where you, yeah. every day is a new client issue yeah. and having to really think on your feet. Uh, and I had so many great mentors at Mercer that um, not only taught me technically, but also just about you know, no, I've, you know, you've never thought about it this way, or this is not, don't try to take everything you've done and fit it into a box. Try to develop something new. Now you've got mm -hmm. an eight years, 10 years of experience, go and do something new with all that experience that you have. Don't just try to recreate the same thing over and over and over again. So then you can start to, you know, that was, a that, so I, I know that's probably not as specific as you may have been asking. <laughs> I was looking for a um, name, but no, 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 it's okay. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, if, uh, yeah, I don't want to, yeah, you, you'd be held liable um but uh no no that's very useful from my perspective to understand kind of where you got the, the bedrock of your experience and where you kind of and yeah 
I think it's very fortunate to have somewhere where you were sort of given uh, that kind of freedom of thinking to sort of challenge the status quo or to understand what best practice really was. You know, I think that's a lot of people aren't necessarily privy to what really good looks like uh, in compensation. Yeah. And it sounds like you were very fortunate to to have those experiences. But uh, Greg, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for for agreeing uh, to, to talk to me for our, the first in our series of, of Totally Rewarding. Um, and uh, yeah, many thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Jamie. This was really a pleasure. It's always great talking to you. And uh, yeah, thank you so much again.